Work is broken. So is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is breaking things down so you can put them back together and make work something you can enjoy. Let's fix work together. And now with the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. On today's show, you'll hear Patty McCord. She's the former head of talent at Netflix before Netflix was Netflix. Back then, it was a mail-order DVD company known for being a great place to work. They had a PowerPoint deck on culture that went viral and is legendary in the business world. Patty was there at the beginning, and then as Netflix radically transformed from a company where customers watch two DVDs a month to the crazy world of streaming, social media, and Netflix and chill. To begin the show, I asked Patty McCord, what have you been doing since 2012? It's been a while since you've been at Netflix. What's going on in your world? Oh, I'm traveling the world. I've done lots of things since I've left. I consult with startups and CEOs. I'm meeting the most interesting companies in the world. I mean, I just, every day I meet with somebody new and great. I have them come visit me. I live in Santa Cruz, California. So <laughs> they, they make the trek down the beach and then we sit on my porch and look at the ocean and have conversations. That's wonderful. I'm speaking with a lot of companies because I wrote a book in January. So I'm promoting the book. The good news about that is I get to travel a lot. The bad news is probably more than I want, but it's just such a great life. You know, I thought when I left Netflix, I thought, you know, I've been living under a rock for 15 years almost, and other people have to be doing some really interesting stuff. I can't wait to see what other people are doing in my field. And honestly, it wasn't much. You know, I, I didn't find much, and I thought, isn't anybody, like, nudging these people <laughs> to think harder? So I've gone from, like, what do I do with my life to I have a mission, and it's kind of twofold. One of them is to say, we got to stop doing dumb stuff that doesn't matter anymore because it doesn't matter anymore. And it's not just preparing ourselves for the future of work. The future of work is here <laughs> and we're not very prepared for the world that we live in right now. So that's thing one. And thing two, I just feel like the Me Too movement and my freedom and my bully pulpit all coincided in a way that I can do things like stand up in front of a thousand HR people like I did three weeks ago and say, just fix pay. You own pay. <laughs> I call this podcast Let's Fix Work because no shock, I think work is broken. I asked Patty, do you agree with me? And yeah, are you really working though? Are you working? Yeah, but you know, let's unpack that. So this isn't work? Well, I don't know. It seems pretty great. Some people would say... Is it not work because it's not fun? My son said to me one time when he first joined the workforce, he came home and he goes, you know, mom, you're weird. Like, yeah, uh, mostly people at work, they don't come home and go, wow, that was a great day at work. And I'm like, those people aren't in the right spot, honey. Right. That's possible. That's right. And the other definition of work is doing something that has an output that's measured by society in a very specific way. Right. Plumbers, police officers, firefighters, secretaries. Right. They do a unit of work that you yes. can measure at the end of the day. I think yeah. what we do as consultants, as speakers, as entrepreneurs, sure, it's work, but it's not the work that most Americans have. OK, let me introduce a nuance to it. Yeah, let me hear it. 
I do not think that work is broken. I'm remodeling a house and I was over the other day and I'm in the destruction part of the remodel and the plumber was there and the electrician was there and they were talking about, you know, tying the new retaining wall to the foundation or something like that. And I come in and I'm like, God, it'll be really fun to get to the fun part. And they looked at me and their faces were, they're like, this is the fun part. (laughs) this is sheer wall we love this stuff i'm like okay i'm just gonna step aside and let y'all be y'all right Right, i mean totally they're like it's not that fun for us when the painters come because all the good stuff's done right they love that part so here's what i think i don't think that work itself is broken i think the way we manage people at work is fundamentally horribly broken and i think that we've evolved to a place where we have to manage workers like a kindergarten class or that we're dealing with children or we have to keep our as companies we have to make sure that we're going to watch out for those evil employees that might sue us i mean think about the idea that you're protecting yourself from your own employees how weird is that it's also really insulting right yeah and so you say that on one hand and everybody does And on the other hand, the tools that we're using, in addition to the rigid compensation programs and performance improvement plans and annual salary reviews and warnings and, you know, time. On the other hand, we're engaging them and empowering them. And, you know, it's just schizophrenic. So that part, I believe, is very broken. And I know that a lot of it is that it's kind of this accumulation of like, bad crappy stuff that we wrap in a good stuff and then we keep doing the crappy stuff and we just don't ever just cough it up and start over under patty's leadership style netflix was known for treating people like adults her personal philosophy her leadership style is optimistic and almost libertarian i asked patty to talk about it i can tell you about that but i will tell you that it came to me over many years So it's important to know that I came up through the traditional ranks of human resources and management. I managed people and I did all the things that everybody else did. And I just found that I became really hooked in the startup culture. I became really hooked in being organizations where people just got stuff done and how exhilarating it was. And we were talking earlier about, you know, is work work? I mean, I used to come home just feeling like, God, we got, we got so much done today. What a great day that was. How lucky I am to be with this group of people. And I just started unpacking it, you know, sort of like picking it apart and really thinking about like, when were those times when it felt that way? When did I observe it when other people were doing? When I was in school, that my favorite subject was cultural anthropology. And I tell everybody I'm kind of like Margaret Mead. Of- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good human resources professional. Is, yeah. But if you look at it in the very strict academic definition of what cultural anthropology is, it's rituals and stories and the way you're organized and the way your hierarchy works and how you operate differently in the family unit and the village unit and the city unit, right? I mean, this is all real. But I think teams at work are like that too. And the part about If I look at cultural anthropology and I look at anthropology of companies, what we don't apply to companies as much as we do when we're applying to an ancient civilization, right, or a group of people, we assume that they're grownups creating something. 
Yeah. Right. So that we do fundamental part about like, okay, well, you know, when we're out in the work world, then we should be whole. We should be whole. And I think I've heard you talk about fully formed adults and, you know, I've talked to other psychologists about the healthy adult, right? This person who shows up and shows respect for other people and does work with integrity and understands values. And I guess I want to know where these healthy adults are, (laughs) you know, because we hear about, well, we hear about them, but a lot of people are not having encounters at work with healthy adults, especially in the trenches of leadership. I hear that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I read your questions that you sent me about that. And I will say that, you know, I'm out in the world now and I work with companies that are 150,000 people with 250 year old companies. And I work with 250 employees and two year old companies. And humanity is a spectrum. Yes, good. Well said. Reed Hastings argues with me about fully formed adults. He doesn't think I should use the term anymore because he says, we're never really fully formed any of us. It's about the journey. And I'm like, wow, haven't we waxed philosophical? Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) It it is nice. But, you know, it's like the term millennial. Mm -hmm. You know, I hate that term. So when you're early in your career, what do you want? everything. When do you want it? Now, right? I mean, you were a millennial. I was, we're not anymore. Okay. But if you take it instead and talk about maturity, then I know a lot of hardworking, really smart, dedicated, fabulously creative 20 somethings who are really mature and grown up about and take work very seriously. I don't know a lot of really immature 40 year olds. Oh, yeah. So do I. (laughs) But but, but, I mean, we can flip those and do that, too. So I would say about most of American business is built on the management structure that we invented in top-down, hierarchical, very large corporations that, you know, were the cool companies, the HP way, the I, you know, of their day. And it's just not work is not the same anymore. It's collaborative. It's multidimensional. We can't no longer the transparency issue. We can talk about transparency until hell freezes over until you look at the levels and you go, well, VPs know something that, you know, directors don't know who know something that managers don't know who know something that employees don't know. And even that, even if that's the way you create your system, it's really hard to hold on to now because everything leaks. Yeah, that's right. Well, we've seen this in our government even, right? Well, we've seen it in our society. I was talking to a very large corporation and there was an HR person who asked me a question, what, how do I feel about working remotely? And I said, wow, that is just a weird question in 2018. I, mean, I can't imagine it, but why are you asking me that? He said, at our bank, we require employees to be in the building from nine to five. Hmm. And I said, that's interesting. In Manhattan. He goes, yeah. I'm like, God. It <laughs> means that everybody's day is 14 hours long, right? Yeah. And, it sounds and, horrible, by the and way. I said, yeah. do you take their phones away when they leave the building at five? Because we all work remotely because it's actually not a phone in your hand. I don't know why we still call it that. It's a computer. Yeah. Right. So we're not just able to get on the phone and talk to each other when we leave work. We're able to get on our computers and find out information about our worlds, our companies, our customers, our colleagues, you know, in real time, 24 seven. I started thinking, why did we used to come to work? Right. Like, oh, our stuff was there. 
Well, our stuff was there and our boss was there. How about that? (laughs) Great. You know, and so let's flip it to now, not the future of work, but now, oh, there's still all kinds of reasons to come to work and interaction with other humans is a really wonderful thing to do. And collaboration is fabulous. But, you know, two things I've observed, one of them is being at work with other people is sometimes a great place to brainstorm, but it's also a good time to say, how are we going to execute? How are we going to deliver? That's what meetings are great for. And sometimes real creativity happens on the beach or (laughs) on a ski slope, right? And so I think the integration of our lives and our work is really healthy and really wonderful. And I don't find it threatening. And I don't find the part, you know, the our cell phones mean we're tethered to our jobs. I don't think so. I think it really frees us. When we come back, I'll talk to Patty McCord about the future of work, Me Too, and how to fix our careers. So sit tight, everybody. We'll be right back with more Patty McCord and Let's Fix Work. Hey, everybody. It's Lori Rudiman here. You know I'm all in on the Let's Fix Work podcast. I want to deprioritize corporate interests, amplify good ideas, and help people fix work by fixing themselves. But I need your help. Please head over to patreon.com forward slash let's fix work and contribute to the podcast's growth. I need your help in building an infrastructure, growing the community, and making Let's Fix Work a permanent place for good ideas. Your donation is essential for the show's success, and any contribution would mean the world to me. Thank you again so much for listening to Let's Fix Work, and thanks in advance for your support. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. My guest today is Patty McCord, former head of talent at Netflix. I told Patty that I'm afraid of the future of work. Automation is steamrolling over traditional jobs in the retail and industrial sectors, and people are weird. They're addicted to opioids, they're not going to college, and the remaining professional jobs out there are bullshit jobs. There's no point, no meaning, and not much to do except to look busy on the internet in our open office work environments. Now, I know my perspective is a little bleak and it's a little cynical, so I asked Patty to tell me what she thinks about the future of work. Oh, don't fear it, Bunky. It's going to be okay. You're so sweet to say that, but I do fear it. No, no, no. Let me tell you. The part where you described... Steamrolling. Okay. Oh, it's here. It's not going to happen. It's here. Let me give you an example. Yeah, please. Last week, I'm in France. I get to go to France. And I'm talking to this group of lawyers for a company that does antitrust and M&A litigation. They've been around 250 years. They are the experts in this kind of work because of their years and years and years of experience, which may or may not be relevant at all in the future of M&A and and particularly antitrust in the era of Facebook and Google and blah, blah, blah. So they realize this, right? The executives in the company really realize, wow, we really have to change the way we operate. We're going to have to change the way we compensate people because we're compensating them based on tenure and longevity in the firm. And that may or may not really be the skills that we need in the future. Like we really know it. And they're very articulate. Oh, by the way, our 
white guy in blue suit workforce doesn't actually play very well to the clients that we want. The IBMs and the general motors of the world right now. Oh, by the way, I'm talking about Amazon, Google, and Facebook, right? Yeah, right. So I meet with the executive and they so get it. And they've already started on this journey of transforming their organization. I'm speaking to like hundreds of leaders in the firm. And one of them raises his hand and he says, yeah, you know, it's kind of like speaking for a friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. there are people in my organization, not me, but who uh-huh. are somewhat reluctant to embrace these changes in technology and, and they find it frightening and they find it threatening. And what do you do about people who do that? And I happen to be in this global forum, right? And I said, so just out of curiosity, how many of you guys in the room, 400 or so, use Netflix? You know, it's where I came from. How many guys watch Netflix? And 400 hands go up, right? And I'm like, how hard was that? It wasn't hard at all. You mean that technology that completely transformed the way you consume video entertainment? Anybody here, raise your hand if you're working on a rotary phone. Yeah. Like, okay, so we're creating a bigger fear about a something, an unknown that's actually creeping into our lives all the time in ways that really matter and really make us better. And so for me, partly because I come from technologies, partly because this is my world, I've learned to say, okay, things are changing. Is it better? How can I make it better? And what we do, I think where we get trapped Mm -hmm. is we want them both. We want to keep the old way because it makes us safe and secure right. and the new way scares us. But the new way, if it doesn't scare us, it makes our lives better than we do it. We just jump up. And do it. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I'm an advocate of the new way. I left human resources. I love the new way, but I am worried about the population globally or even in America who are on disability because they haven't been able to find work. And so they're lying about that or they're addicted to opioids or they're part of the retail apocalypse. And there's no real social contract in place to take care of their health care, their retirement, all of that. That's the part that keeps me up at night because we don't have a mechanism for them to re-enter the labor force, even as just students of a new way of work to help their creative thinking. Step back, girl. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I don't know why. You're the guest and suddenly I'm like interviewing myself. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's not the first time it's happened. Yes, so. of course. I can't help you with all of the world's woes. I can't mm-hmm. really address the opioid epidemic because it's really not something that I can help you with. Of course not. Yeah. I can help us think about a couple of other things. Yeah. Tell me. The first thing that we can do societally is stop lying. Coal mining's not coming back. Okay. And falsely promising people that we're going to bring back industries that no one wants to work in. Let's pick on coal mining. It's like, you want to be a coal miner? No one wants to be a coal miner. It's a horrible job, right? And the people are clinging to that because they're clinging to a promise that has been a lie for decades. So let's move that into the white-collar corporate world. Come in out of college intern, and when you join our firm, we'll take care of your career for the rest of your life. So I just did a talk, right? Every time I do a talk now, I say, raise your hand. No matter, 1,000 people, 1,500 people, 100 people, I said, raise your hand if you're in the job that you had when you graduated from college. And it is literally zero. Yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) This 1,000-person HR group, when it was zero, I said, oh my God, you know, I work with a lot of mathematicians and this is statistically significant. There's a thousand people in this room from this particular region of the U.S. who every single one of you joined a firm that couldn't retain you. Amazing. Yeah. 
can you imagine that many crappy companies? And I'm like, and you guys are in HR. So how many of you use the word retention at work? Like, we don't care. It's a lie. And why would you want to stay? Because somebody's job is to retain you. Right. So when we embrace the idea, I'm going to throw out a couple of my thinkings that I think we can embrace as workers and as managers that's going to help us get through this. One of them, we have to stop lying about the patriarchal, matriarchal, whatever patriarchal is that says we're going to take care of you. We're not. It's a lie. We don't. We haven't. Let's get real. Second of all, if you're going to sit there and passively expect things to happen for you in your career because you joined the right firm, that's a lie too. So you own half of it. You own your career forever. So we got to find a way to address these issues where both sides of the workforce have responsibility. So I absolutely think that we can do a lot to retrain America to do other things. Like let's take coding, for example. It's really hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. So how come every, you know, 11-year-old with a computer can do that? (laughs) 11-year-old boy with a computer, Yeah, it's not that hard, right? I mean... But coding moves fast. That's the other thing. So You know, you, I'm in the middle of this. So I mean, I can yeah. use some great examples. Do you know that medical devices like heart pumps and things like that, a lot of them are coded in COBOL? Mm-hmm. I do know, yeah. Because it's the oldest language, the most reliable. And when they put something in your body and they want it to work for a really long time, they use the computer language that's been around for 50 years. It's amazing. We can look at everything and say, you know, what's the current skill set to be great at these things? And some of the current skill set really fundamentally is the ability to be flexible and own your life. I asked Patty to share her take on careers in the modern workforce and if career is even the right word anymore in a broken, fractured, and freelance work environment. You know, how do we have to suffer under these people who don't treat us like adults and, you know, treat us like infants. Well, you don't. Agreed. You don't have to suffer. Yeah. This is how careers really work. At some point, you stand up and in your mind's eye, you're like, I hate this job. I hate this guy. I wish I didn't work here. And then you start building your resume like secretly in your head. And at some point you go, oh, I know how to do stuff. I totally remember this. I'm like, I'm a professional. Who knew? (laughs) Like, I actually have years of experience doing something. Oh, if I have experience, then maybe I don't have to work for an asshole. Huh. So I can't change him. The only one I can change is me. That's right. So when I talk to women's groups, I say, when your company talks about engagement, no one put a ring on it. And when you go interview with another company to find out if there's more opportunity or to find out what you're worth, that's not cheating on your husband. That's proactively working on your career. And you should practice that because you're going to do it for the rest of your life. Because of my background as an HR nerd and Patty's former career as an HR lady, I wanted to know how HR could be a more active participant in the future of work. You've heard me. I mean, on the other side of it, I say, look, we need to be honest with people and say, wow, we hired you to do this thing and you've been here for four years and you did a fabulous job and now you're done. And you did a great job. We don't actually need you to do it again because that was... you. And so, you know, you're loyal and I like you and you're a good worker and you have good attitude so far. So I think in order to keep you, to retain you, I'm going to have you maintain this thing. Please don't think about it anymore. Please don't innovate it on anymore. Please don't build it again because it's already built. I'd like you to just sort of sit there and tick off boxes. And you're going to say, 
why are you putting me in this horrible job? I yeah. hate, yeah. right? And now I'm working for the guy who says, you didn't tick off all your boxes today. Well, there is that learned helplessness right there, right in the system. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. This combined with the other thing you talked about earlier, which is I call it the fat middle or that you said bullshit jobs. Yeah, the bullshit jobs. I've got to read that book. Yeah, it's excellent. When I'm talking to bigger companies, I say, if I was an individual contributor and I had a fabulous idea that was going to make our customer amazingly happy, how many people would have to give me permission before I could do something about it? And they'll say, oh, five. <laughs> I was going to say seven. That's optimistic. Seven, yeah. Right. And I, I'm like, right. <laughs> well, just to be clear of those seven people, let's be generous. Three of them, their whole job is to say no. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Patty, that is so true. Because they don't get their power in green lighting. <laughs> no, they get their power in owning and, and stopping innovation. Yeah. Well, and can you imagine how crappy that job is? They're all crappy. That's part of the point. That's part of the podcast. <laughs> it feels impossible to have a podcast called Let's Fix Work without talking about Me Too. I wanted to know if Patty thought things were really changing for women or if we're just going to go back to the status quo when Me Too falls out of vogue. You know, I can only speak for myself because I've been a feminist and at work for 30 something years. And like, I'm just done. I'm done with being nice. I'm done with being polite. I'm done with suggesting. (laughs) I mean, it's time to do a lot of stuff and we can do it right now. It's not really hard. So let's take uh, fixing pay. I just read yet another glowing, praising article of Mark Benioff at Salesforce and how he equalized pay at Salesforce. And don't get me wrong. Thank God he did it. Thank God he's talking about it. Thank God he made it a public thing. Do you know how much it cost them? It cost them $3 million. What the hell is the run rate of Salesforce? Right? Yeah, it's, it's like nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. <laughs> and you know what it is for all the rest of us? It's like nothing. Yeah. It's like nothing. So I'm ready to just stand up and say, look, we know what needs to be fixed. Let's go do it. And I think if we can fix some of those fundamentals, then we really can change things this time. And I'm worried like you are. I'm worried that the Me Too movement is going to be just another sensitivity issue that we throw over to HR to be fixed with training. And you know, so I spend a lot of my time right now saying, look, we know what the fixes are. Let's go do it. So I, I do think it's different this time because there are more of us who have a certain amount of power. Yeah, I think you're right. There's not. And we are willing to speak out. And there are, I know, at least for myself, I don't have many consequences. I was introduced to Patty McCord through friend of the show, Bob Sutton. He believes that the best thing you can do in a toxic work environment where you're being harassed or you work with assholes is to quit. I happen to agree with that. I wondered, what does Patty think about that? And what else can you do short of quitting your job? Well, you know, Bob and I are psychically aligned. Yeah, I've heard this. (laughs) Bob and I have some, listen to that podcast. That's a fun one. I think he's right, but here's something that I would also like to eradicate. I'd like to eradicate the language around quitting and firing. Oh, tell me more about this. Let's take firing. There's no guns involved. There's no blood. There's no violence. And when we fire somebody, the result for the person who is affected is a feeling called shame. Yeah. 
And that's why nobody wants to do it and nobody wants to have it done to them. I just did a whole talk with Harvard Business Review yesterday about this kind of thing. I'm like, and you want to talk about a system that's cruel and heartless and mean. (laughs) Talk about the performance improvement plan, right? Which is, if it was real, it'd be a really cool thing to do. (laughs) But it is this horrible system that humiliates and demeans people into making them feel incompetent, proving they're incompetent and writing so that you can fire them. So what if we just took all that aside and said, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. In my experience, here's the three reasons why they don't work out. If you hire somebody who's not competent, you own that as a manager 100%. Person has zero culpability there. And as soon as you know that you did that, then we should part ways because you're going to just fail. And that's a bad thing. And as a manager, you know, and then you're like, oh God, I hired the wrong person. Now there's a fix for that. You can say, you know, I'm not sure that you're the right one. I mean, you don't really have all the skills, but God, you got so much enthusiasm and passion and you really want to, and he says some clever ideas about solving the problem. You're willing to take a chance because we are. If it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. Well, there's your fully formed adult having a conversation. Thing two is, we just talked about it. You hire somebody to do something they do it. They're great. They're done. Now we put them in a job that they don't want to do, that they're terrible at doing, that they fail at, and then we have to fire them, right? Because all of a sudden they did the wrong thing. Well, I'm seeing 50-50 in there. The third reason, most common that I've seen, is that the business shifts. And you know what we need you to be great at yesterday is not what we need you to be great at tomorrow. And it's not that you aren't great at the thing that you do. It's just we don't need to do it anymore or or we need to do something different. And so what we do traditionally is we wait until there's so many people doing all the wrong things that we lay them off, right? And it's the guilt-free way of saying goodbye because that's not getting fired, is it? No. And it's also done with a very lovely, in air quotes, severance package to make everybody feel good as if there's no shame involved. And it's still kind of shameful, right? Yeah. You know, back to the, you know, when I ask everybody, are you still in the same job you had before? I don't ask, why did you leave? (laughs) Yeah. So that you have to tell me the shameful truth about the breakup. And the truth is we're all going to go through lots of relationships in our life. And the more we can learn how to do them as adults and learn from them, the better off we'll be. I recently heard a story of an HR leader in St. Louis who is still grappling with race relations and the fallout of the Ferguson riots. Her employees told her, now you know what we deal with. We get pulled over for unfair reasons all the time, and some of us are late to work for reasons out of our control. There's an attendance policy at our company, and it applies to more minorities than it does whites. And it also hurts more minorities. The data shows that. We're penalized at a higher rate. Why is remote work and flex time good for some parts of the company and not for others? I was blown away. I love when people challenge HR on political issues. So I asked Patty if she thinks HR professionals and corporate leaders are more political these days and if it's a good thing. Businesses exist to serve their employees. And one of your questions was, where's business's role in society? Yeah, yeah. I certainly think it's to be a good citizen and to be logical and reasonable and responsible and have heart. Like all those things you said, common sense is true. But let's talk about this issue with workers and time because it's a really important one. Yeah, Workers that are paid hourly and companies who have strict time policies, 
the reason why those exist, with every labor law, you want to step back and go, why is that law in place? The laws around workers and time, particularly hourly workers, is a response so that they're not exploited. It's actually those overarching rules, the heavy burdens that we've laid on it are there in the beginning to protect people. We've just calcified it. Usually those are jobs where you have to be present to win. That's how I talk about it. It's like customer service or it's the work that you do with your hands. And if you're not there, the work's not getting done. Mm-hmm. And that's why people enforce these strict employment time policies because if you're late, you're not getting done. Instead of thinking about flexibly, you know, how do we measure the work that gets done? Right. And how do we think about, I mean, it's like the the person who said, you know, what do you think about remote working? So it's about stepping back and rethinking all of those jobs. And then where I think companies and societies come together is your example is a wonderful one. You're working in that locality. You're working in that reality. And so the other thing we don't do or we do do that doesn't work is everything has to be, when I talk to HR people, they're like, what about consistency? I'm like, well, that's what we strive for. Really? That's, that's really it. short-sighted yeah. you know, and you depressing. Mean, yeah. <laughs> you mean the same. I don't know. I'm pretty excited about that. How about you? And yeah. I say, why do we have to be consistent? Right? Why do we have these global HR policies? You know, well, we've got to be consistent. I'm like, no, we don't. You know, so now in the world where we can really observe, even statistically, I mean, we can use math better right? Who are workers? What is the workforce? What are we dealing with? What are we trying to accomplish? How many units of work? We can take all the math and then superimpose it on the people and go, okay, what's the best way to get the most productivity out of the people that we're working with here? And that's the common sense part. Getting back to the Netflix culture doc, I asked Patty about her book. What's up with the book and what can we expect if we buy it from our favorite retailer like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or at the airport? A lot of people have read the Netflix culture deck. Yeah, it's legendary. And what I'd do is I'd walk into companies and people would make a copy of it and throw it on the table and say, I want to do that, right? And I said, you know, it's not a PowerPoint slide deck. It's a system. It's a holistic way of thinking about work. But I, what I realized was people didn't know how to do it. So sometimes I refer to my book as the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Netflix Culture Deck. And I even organized it the way I read business books. I tell people, you don't have to read it in any order. At the end of every chapter, I put like five questions to ask, five bullet points, and just go through at the end and say, oh, that sounds interesting and go back. And what I've tried to do is say, here's how I thought about it. Here's what happened beforehand. I couldn't think about having freedom and responsibility, which meant getting rid of paid time off and not having approvals and not having a travel policy until I built all the fundamentals that said, well, how do we hire fully formed adults, right? How do we make sure we got the right people in the right place at the right time? How do I give them a lot of context about how the business works, right? So every chapter is built on the chapter before. So what I tried to do in my book was say, here's some ideas about how to do it. Yeah. Like you just said, really practical, common sense, lots of heart and respect. There's a different way of doing it. Just try something. Finally, I asked Patty to tell us how we can find her on the internet. You can find me at my website, pattymccord.com. That's where all my videos and podcasts and blog stuff and articles are. And then my books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookstores, in the airport. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations for all your success post-Netflix and keep, you know, sticking to it. Have those conversations with HR ladies. I know you're going to make a dent with them, Patty. 
It's been really great to have you on the show. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for giving me a voice. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye. Sit tight, everybody. When we come back from the final break, we'll talk about the future of Let's Fix Work and how you can get involved. Hey, everybody. You know I love to brag about my friends. I also like to listen to them. And right now, I'm listening to Jennifer McClure, host of the Impact Makers podcast. Jennifer is connecting with leaders across all industries to figure out how to make a difference at work and in the world. Here's what she's got going on. I believe strongly that each of us has the ability and the opportunity to positively impact people through our work and through how we choose to live our lives. The truth is that you've already impacted people in this world, even if you haven't been trying. I love what Jennifer has to say. And if you like what you're hearing right here on Let's Fix Work, you'll love what Jennifer's talking about on Impact Makers. So go to jennifermcclure.net forward slash iTunes and subscribe today. Hey, friends, do you want to get involved at Let's Fix Work? Oh, I would love that. Do you want to be interviewed for this podcast? Do you have big ideas? Well, head over to patreon.com forward slash Let's Fix Work to sponsor the show and get involved in growing the Let's Fix Work community. Also, while you're on the internet, just connect with me at Let's Fix Work or L Rudiman and say hello. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love your positive feedback. And I would just love to know how life is going for you. Let's Fix Work is a production of One Stone Creative. Audra Casino, Megan Doherty, and Gerson de la Flèche make the show sound great. The show is growing, and it's growing because you are subscribing. That's more important than downloads, if you can believe it. So please head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and hit the subscribe button. It would mean the world to me. Now, that's all for the show this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Fix Work. Wouldn't you love to get your hands on Lori's no-holds-barred, honest HR handbook for employees and pros alike? Download it for free at lorirudiman.com slash DIYHR. 